0: The Gospel reading this morning is taken from uh, Luke, is chapter 19, verses 41 through 47, beginning in verse 41. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. And he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold, saying to them, it is written, my house shall be a house of prayer but you have made it a den of robbers. And he was teaching daily in the temple. The chief priests and the scribes and the principal men of the people were seeking to destroy him, but they did not find anything they could do, for all the people were hanging on his words. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks. Uh, the uh, thanks. The. Uh, This sermon today is taken from our gospel passage. I've titled it simply, Jesus Cleanses the Temple, because titles are not my strong point. Uh, Some of you may remember that in December, our old friend Micah uh, preached on Matthew's account of the temple cleansing. And this week, uh, as I was finishing up my notes for today, I possibly made the mistake of playing some random clips from Micah's uh, sermon on the same subject, and discovered that we touch on many of the same points. And I felt frustrated, like we all just heard this nine months ago. He took all my good ideas. (laughs) So I thought perhaps I wanted to explore a new angle. But after only a few minutes, I decided it was better to preach the old truths than risk inventing several new heresies So stick to the script, I told myself. I think we'll all be better for it. Just before I begin, uh, I'll pray quickly. Heavenly Father, we thank you again uh, for your house. We thank you for your people. We thank you for the community of believers that you have called uh, to yourself, of which we are a part. We pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to us through uh, the words of your gospel, and that it would be the power unto salvation for all of us here. And now, O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our only Redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. So there's an account of a temple cleansing in each of the four Gospels. The Synoptic Gospels, uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, place the event towards the end of Christ's ministry on earth, And John tells of an event near the beginning of his ministry on earth. And I think it's correct to view these two events as two different events. So I will be examining the later event as it's told in Luke, Mark, and some details from Matthew. The temple in Jerusalem was the place of worship for Jewish and foreign uh, Gentile believers in Christ's day. And while Jerusalem may have been the Bible belt of the Middle East, uh, there wasn't a temple on every street corner. Of course not, it didn't work that way. But while we have churches everywhere, I mean, you wanna go to a place to worship, I can find exactly 188 results for churches and other places of worship in Kelowna. It's easy, take your pick. Us Gentiles have a ton of places places to worship nowadays. But a worshiper at the turn of the age, there was the temple. It was in Jerusalem, and for the foreigner, the Gentile, the outer court was the only area of the temple where that repentant Gentile or unclean Jewish person could offer sacrifice and prayer to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the outer court. The foreign believer sometimes traveled what was then a great distance to offer acceptable worship to God that they loved and the God that they served. Charles Spurgeon put it this way, he said, The temple was intended to be the center of prayer for all the children of Israel. Those who could do so went up to it a certain number of times every year. Others who were too far away to go prayed with their window open towards Jerusalem. I don't know if that's the direction of Jerusalem. (laughs) But for there was the mercy seat. And beneath the wings of the overshadowing cherubim there dwelt that bright light of the Shekinah, which was the index of the presence of God in the midst of his people. So for those who love God and wish to obey him and give him the honor due his name, the temple was sacred and it was important. In the Mark account, the Gospel of Mark account, in chapter 11, verse 17, Jesus asks, Is it not written that my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations? And for the Gentile of all nations, that outer court was the holiest place that they could go to meet God and to worship him. And the reason I belabor this point is because it is believed that that is precisely in this part of the temple where the merchants and money changers had set up shop. A note about the merchants and money changers, the service they provided was perhaps not inherently evil one. For if you had traveled a great distance by foot or by donkey with family in tow, you would certainly be grateful for the ability to acquire for yourself a clean animal for sacrifice. People didn't have to worry about carrying some uh, stinky bird carcass for five days worth of foot travel through a desert. Purchasing a pigeon in Jerusalem was an acceptable means of obtaining a clean animal. The temple money offerings were required to be paid with coins that didn't bear the emperor's image. So travelers could bring whatever coins they had and they could trade for coins from Tyree, the acceptable coins, the merchants, and the money changers should have been a blessing for those who arrived travel weary and wanting to worship. But the merchants and money changers had set up shop in the area where the travelers were allowed to be, the only area. And if you walked into a church where you could only worship in the foyer or, say, the entrance by the washrooms, but all around you were tables of caged cooing pigeons and men calling out like carnies, step right up, get your coins from Tyree here, looky here, you need birds, we got (laughs) them. It'd be hard I mean, church isn't supposed to be a distraction-free zone. We have children, for goodness sake. But Gentiles offering prayers amongst the discordant cacophony of buying and selling and cooing was not the Lord's vision for the outer courts. And if it brings to mind a pre-Reformation church selling indulgences to worshipers like a market of merit, then be reminded that we modern men are not above making the same mistakes as the merchants of old. Let's look at Isaiah 56. Isaiah prophesied in the foreigners who joined themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord, to be his ser- servants. Everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast my co- covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my a- altar for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. The Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel declares, I will gather yet others to him besides those already gathered. So Isaiah's vision is the vision for the temple, it's a vision for the outer court. Thus far my introduction. I have two points I like to consider. Very, very, very short points, especially the second one. But number one is what does this story tell us about Jesus? Well, the story tells us about Jesus and who he is. He clearly displays his authority as our high priest. He has the authority to enter the temple and give direction on its proper use. He doesn't enter and make suggestions, but he removes with force those things would have no place there. Worship is not a marketplace. Jesus quotes the prophet Isaiah saying the words, My house, but the words come with the resounding authority of being spoken again by the word of God himself. Isaiah prophesied the words, and now the word that became flesh had come in the flesh to speak again with force and with action. Jesus was showing them with action what Isaiah prophesied, that God's house would be a house of prayer for all peoples. The gatekeeping uh, chief priests and scribes who had allowed the outer courts to be filled in such a way as to hinder Gentile worship were enraged. It says they were looking for a way to destroy him. Their authority was now in question as they watched the long-awaited Messiah come and literally upset the cart. God's house had always been open to those repentant non-Jews who believed in him. Christ was making clear with this sign that the gospel Paul would later preach in Romans 1 was the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And Paul says to the Ephesians in that chapter 3, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise of Christ Jesus through the gospel. John Piper points out that God is the one who has mercy. Ethnicity is not decisive here. There is no merit with him, for we are all sinners. But Jesus assures us that we are welcome in the temple by trusting in his once-for-all sacrifice for sinners. Christ! is the gatekeeper to God. No, no one else. So Christ's authority in this event is on display. Secondly, we see that Christ's concern is for his Father's house and by extension, his Father's glory. We know worship is not a business or a game and it's not entertainment or, or a club. And we dishonor God when we allow these things to creep in. Worship is solemn, it is repentant, but it is also joyful. It is a time to corporately deal with our worst selves, but also to rejoice in the forgiveness that we find at the table of Christ's sacrifice. And Jesus would not have God's house be turned into a den of thieves. You often hear this story cited as an example of uh, an example over the hippie Jesus caricature. The example of the uh, mild-mannered Bruce Banner Jesus becomes the raging Hulk Jesus when he gets ticked off, but it's not that simplistic. Bruce becomes Hulk when he loses his temper, but Jesus acts with intention, and his intention is to restore his father's house to its glory, to its intended purpose, to be a house of prayer. Matthew Henry said, If Christ came now into his visible church, how many secret evils would he discover and cleanse? How many things daily practiced under the cloak of religion would he show to be more suitable for a den of thieves than a house of prayer? God will have his glory no matter what, but Christ shows us that right motive and proper action give God glory. And our church should be about God's glory, and praise God, I believe that it is. My second uh, and very, very short point. What does the story say about us? Then li- Listen to me, I don't, I don't wanna fall into the trap of making a uh, m- metaphor out of every historical event in, in the Bible. Some stories are just that, they're just a story. But as I thought about the players on this particular stage, I became increasingly uncomfortable in the places where I see my own heart reflected in this story. When I read it, I see that I am the merchant. I am the one who is always at risk of turning God's house into something that suits my own desires. I am the seller. I am the one who packages life-saving gospel information into pithy tidbits that can be easily consumed by the world around me. I am the carny, the one desperately crying out, look at me, look at me, look what I can offer. And at the very best, I am the weary traveler, the one who needs Jesus but is pulled in every direction by the world around me. Charles Spurgeon preached a a sermon on August 27, 1899, almost exactly 120 years ago today. It was a much better titled sermon called A Place of Prayer and Pardon. And there's a golden quote in the middle of it that I like to read to finish off. Spurgeon says, Come then, though a sense of guilt should put a sting into your so- so- sorrow, and, which otherwise it would not possess, and though you may truly say, I brought all this misery upon myself, I know I did, I played the fool exceedingly, and now the mischief is done, and it cannot be undone, yet remember that there is one who can lift the load off your spirit and say to you, go in peace. Your sins, which are many, are forgiven you. Look toward the temple, even to Christ in whom God dwells and from whom God shines. Tell him your grief, and you shall yet rejoice in the peace which he delights to bestow. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.